This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, May 17th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, San Miguel considers RV parks on Wrights Mesa, Telluride plans for town park upgrades, a green light for smart service expansions, and a mountain weather forecast. RV parks could be coming to Norwood. The purpose of this uh, work, uh, work session is to discuss whether or not we are going to entertain an amendment to the land use code to allow uh, RV parks and campgrounds in what's called the Wrights Mesa Rural Agriculture Area. That's Kay Simonson, Planning Director for San Miguel County. The work session was held in COVID fashion, spaced and outside, meaning a number of birds, cars, wind, and the occasional horse was in attendance as well. Under the proposed amendment, RV parks could be permitted with 10 spaces per acre for up to five acres, meaning a maximum of 50 spaces per park. There would be a 30-day minimum stay unless special provisions are put in. You could hypothetically say that uh, within an RV park, a quarter of the spaces can be rented long-term in the winter, uh, which is when we have a lot of uh, housing shortage. When it comes to this particular conversation, Simonson notes an amendment to the land use code only allows for the possibility of a park. Each landowner who would like to create a park will still need to go through a special use permitting process to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. During the conversation, members of the public brought up concerns about elk habitat. Simonson says for any application, the county would consult with Colorado Parks and Wildlife and wildfire mitigation. But a major concern for Norwood residents is water. Here's Vince Egan. Water use is really, I mean, water use is just deadly. And, and how far is that going to decline the aquifer that's already on edge? How many people here have uh, raw water? How many people aren't getting it right now? Or you're not going to get it. So, this is a cash burner, but we can't give them the water. We can't invent it. Bobby Starks, along with Egan, doesn't think the idea is a non-starter, but he wants the county to be smart about it. I'm totally for it, but I just want to make sure that we don't get something going that's going to hurt us. Simonson says she recognizes the importance of water, noting for each application, the county works with a number of organizations to get as much information as possible. You know, all the county offices, fire department, the water provider, whether it's uh, Norwood Water or uh, Division of Water Resources, we sent to CPW, we sent it to CDOT. Um, you know, if it's um, adjacent to BLM or Forest Service, we sent it to them. We have a really long list, so, you know, and we're asking for their feedback, and, uh, you know, they tell us what they they need us to do, Um, and and then we're going through, you know, two opportunities, taking two acts of the the public hearing process, and, you know, a lot of opportunity for the public to give us feedback. The purpose of the work session is to look at the land use code amendment as a whole. However, many noted the reason the conversation came up in the first place is because there's already interest. Demian Brooks is hoping to build some sort of park in the area. 
Demian wasn't available to be in attendance at the meeting, but his brother Dylan Brooks read a letter on his behalf. I've been trying to fulfill a much wanted needed addition to San Miguel County in RV park. Currently, there is not an RV park in San Miguel County. It has the support of both the town of Norwood and the chamber, as well as many local businesses. For these reasons, I've been formulating a plan for the past three and a half years. Carrie Andrew, Lone Cone Library Director and former Chamber of Commerce member, urged the Planning Commission to move the amendment forward. In 2014, the library did a feasibility study on what the community wanted as far as library amenities, recreation amenities, and amenities in general. And one of the top 10 was an RV park. And we finally have someone that with a plan, and it's kind of frustrating as someone who's been trying to promote business for six years to see that he kind of got jerked around for a while on what the right process was. This is something that is trying to be sensitive to the needs, to the water, you know, someone who's listening not just some person coming in and trying to develop. So I just would like to urge you to maybe make a decision on this sooner rather than later. As a work session, the Planning Commission didn't come to a decision or vote on the amendment. The Commission will consider the Land Use Code Amendment and pass a recommendation on to the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners at its meeting on June 10th via Zoom. Whether a music festival packing the park to the gills or a lazy Sunday game of frisbee, Telluride's town park always has something going on. But soon, a number of changes will be coming to the community park. The scope of this project is to plan, design, engineer, and estimate construction costs for improvements to the core area in town of Telluride's town park. And the project site includes the skate park. Uh, the project also includes the warming hut, the oval, and some vendor festival staging areas. That's Stephanie Jacquet, Telluride Parks and Recreation Director, speaking at a virtual public meeting on the project last week. The changes to the core area in the skate park of Town Park are all part of the recent Town Park Master Plan update, which looks to upgrade Town Park itself, in addition to the River Trail Corridor and pocket parks throughout town. Starting with the skate park, the master plan update has the skate park expanding, staying where it is but extending further south, and including elements of the Voodoo Park, which will be taken out when the lot is developed in the coming years. Tim Halbicken is with Zirin and Associates, a consulting company working with the town on the master plan update. He says they've heard a number of requests for the new skate park, making it available for all ages and skill levels, increasing spectator areas and lighting, and... A big component of this project is to provide 365 days of access to the skate park. We heard loud and clear that people, the community, really want to be able to access this during festival use. But during the meeting, a number of members from the skating community also showed up with their own requests. Some commenters want to see more street elements, a more accessible pyramid. Cody Davis wants to see longer lines to skate. I think the kids here grow up learning how to put lines together, and the longer the better. Lining it up so you can put a quarter-mile run together would be, would be great, especially for the kids that grow up riding park here in the wintertime. Parks and Rec is working with Evergreen Skate Parks to envision what the park could look like, 
There aren't any definitive plans on design yet, but Catherine Coolin with Evergreen says all the ideas are possible. We definitely, when we design our parks, try to make them so that you can keep going. So you're not just trying one trick over and over. Like you can try tricks, but you can also just ride and just ride and ride and ride. But Craig Wasserman also wants to be careful not to pack too much in. All these ideas coming together um, at times with the wrong designer can worry me because we've all been to skate parks where too much is fit into a small space. Um, And that is a disaster. I think we should and probably are able to please mostly everybody. But if we try to put every single idea together and we certainly don't want a park that is crammed with too many features that then becomes dysfunctional because of it. Jacquet says the town plans to begin construction on the new skate park this year. Next, the oval, warming hut, and festival staging areas. According to Pedro Campos, another member of Zeran and Associates, one major change under the master plan update is the location of the warming hut. Currently, it sits next to the bra. But with the update, it will be taken out, and a new one will be constructed just south, on the west side of the oval, bumping up against the skate park. For the warming hut, the thought right now is that it would provide uh, public restrooms, um, have a common area for uh, um, changing, warming, and uh, maybe very small uh, private event use, but the, um, also a uh, community space. Um, that would be envisioned for perhaps early on supporting youth. Um, We heard a lot about a need for a youth space in the community and that having it in the park with the new um, skate park expansion and moving in the Rue Lounge out of downtown to the park, new multi-use courts, that would seem to make a lot of sense. Lynn Burrup, Executive Director of Tri-County Health Network, has concerns about the common space of the warming hut. I just keep envisioning like it gets commandeered. So for the festivals, I'm like, I'm going to kick out here and look at the mountains and hear the music because I'm going to rent it for $5 million because I can. To that point, Jacquet says she envisions the space being available for a youth center for the time being. I think the flexibility is more kind of long term, not short term. Okay. I mean, if this is if this is a space that's going to work for the youth, I think that that's what's envisioned to be the short term use of it for however long it makes sense and not any kind of shared um, space. And the oval itself will also be getting a change in surface. The big improvements to the oval was that and recommended was that more multi-use. There's a, it's an area that's the lowest part of the park. It gets very soggy and limits use. It's also hard for um, you know, developing an ice skate area here during the winter. And so there was a lot of interest in having a part, part of the space be a concrete surface. Finally, the festival staging area. The current plan has vendor pads that allow utility hookups, a multi-use plaza with electric and internet service for gate entry, and temporary truck parking. For Paul Savage, it's important the area is wheelchair accessible. The main thing that we can do is is really make, you know, uh, firm paths throughout to make those areas to travel to get there. And I know some of it's on the field, so it's not like you can pour concrete because it serves double duty, but at least a, you know, a firm path that's compacted and 
brought down. The Parks and Recreation Commission will discuss the schematic plans for the skate park, oval, warming hut, and festival staging areas at its meeting on June 16th. Members of the public are welcome to provide comments on the plan via email. Bus service is coming to Two Rivers and Ilium. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation Board of Directors approved a plan last week to expand the routes at the end of off-season. It feels like the right time to me. I also feel like people are coming out of the woodwork right now and hopefully more and more COVID restrictions will be diminished. That's board member Adrian Christie speaking at last week's meeting. Vice Chair Joe Dillsworth is also in favor of the move. His only hesitation is if it results in leaving riders behind. Because of capacity limits, that's just a good way to turn off riders forever. Board member Lance Waring isn't as worried about potential capacity issues due to COVID restrictions. Joe, I think that if someone is turned back because of capacity restrictions, but they won't be a lifetime decliner because they'll understand that this is a unique situation. So I think it's worth the risk to proceed uh, at the end of off-season. The board unanimously approved the Two River Ilium expansions, which had been postponed last year due to the pandemic. They didn't reach a decision on another expansion into Nucla and Natarita, but multiple board members are in favor of kicking that off later this year. But another transit project didn't receive board support last week a test route this summer to take people from Telluride to the Bridal Veil Falls Trail to relieve traffic congestion. Waring asked the board for $10,000 from SMART to support a pilot. That would be on top of $25,000 already committed by the Telluride Tourism Board, according to Waring. If the ridership is working, we'll know that. If the ridership doesn't happen, We'll know that and stop thinking about it and work on other avenues to reduce congestion. But Board Secretary-Treasurer Dan Caton is skeptical. Bridal veil congestion is SMART's most pressing issue. Do we have any data that shows that the need here is greater than any potential need in the Mountain Village or any other service, uh, Natarita or Nuclear or any others? And if so, should we throw our money towards something like that first? Dillsworth thinks the congestion issue should be addressed by San Miguel County and the visitor center rather than the regional transit body. I feel like our time and resources can be better spent providing regional transportation to Telluride's workforce that lives outside of the community, which is an increasing number uh, more and more as people get displaced. Overall, the board objected to funding the pilot, so Waring says he will try to push forward with the Bridal Veil service this summer without SMART. For the last two years, the mural, Rise, has been a fixture on Main Street. The mural was by Greg Deal, a native artist and member of the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe. This week, the mural is gone taken down to create space for a new large-scale art piece on its way to adorn the town for the next two years. As Telluride residents think back on their walks past Rise, sitting beneath it drinking coffee, we're rebroadcasting a conversation between Kodo News and Deal from May 2019, when the mural first went up. How did you get started as an artist? And I know that a lot of your work focuses on indigenous identity and mixing that with pop culture. So also wondering if you can talk a little bit about where the inspiration for your work comes from. 
Um, I, you know, I, I've been doing, I've been doing artwork forever. Uh, you know, I, to the detriment of my high school career, um, <laughs> spent a lot of time drawing and a lot of time creating. And, um, you know, it, I, I've been fortunate enough to come into contact with people that have, uh, helped me along in figuring out those things. Cause you know, it's not just the craft, but it's also, um, it's also the, the message and the voice that comes out in it. And, um, as a native person, uh, th- those voices are always there. Um, and, and I, I would even go so far as to say that they're, they're kind of always there for every native person in one way or another. Um, and, and so it becomes about trying to figure out how to manifest that into the work in a way that makes sense. And in a way that's, um, the way that's, uh, comprehensive, um, for, for anybody and how to enact change uh, in the understanding of, of Native people in in our own homeland. Yeah. So the mural that you have in Telluride is your piece called Rise, and it's a portrait of a young Native woman with her eyes looking up to the sky and the word rise above her head. What was the process like of creating that piece, and, and how did you come, come up with the production of it? Um, well, so first and foremost, that's my oldest daughter. Um, <laughs> she's... Uh, she's 13 and has sort of when I, for some reason, when I, when I, uh, use her face or illustrate her face, she's older than she looks. There's also, uh, some deliberate use in using a woman in, in, uh, those ways as well. Uh, the, the sort of resurgence and understanding of the importance of, um, indigenous women in our communities and also the way that indigenous women have traditionally and are still um, oftentimes victimized in uh, ways that are horrific, you know, sexual assault. And um, there's, a, there's a huge issue of missing and murdered indigenous women uh, in, in Indian country right now and an effort to try to help people understand that that's a, a really serious thing that's happening and affecting our communities. But amidst all that, I wanted to create something that was a little more general, something that um, anybody could connect with that is appropriate with sort of the political and social climate of today, um, that sometimes, uh, you know, rise could be a political call, but rise could also just be something as simple as, you know, like get up this morning and go do, you know, go, go do good, you know, do better than you did yesterday yeah. and uh, and continue to move forward. And so... She is indigenous, um, and there's some aspects of the image that uh, point to that, um, but they might not be very obvious to other people. And, and I did that on purpose because I think that it's incredibly important um, to sometimes, you know, understand that there's a general message that applies to all these things that are rooted in indigeneity, um, but also can be uh, things that exist out amidst other people that they can connect with as well. Right. And you've kind of touched on this um, in what you were just speaking about, but there are people who might not have a lot of experience with Native people or culture outside of portrayals that we see in the media. To you, does that change the piece at all or what you're trying to say with it or the importance of it? No, no, not at all. In terms of, uh, you know, white audience versus maybe an indigenous audience, the truth is, is that it's still Indian land, but it's traditional Indian land. Uh, which means that that is the homelands of indigenous people. And so a representation and inclusion of indigenous faces and indigenous bodies and indigenous issues um, 
it should be and can be everywhere because it's something that affects these these places. The the narrative that has been given to you know most Americans, the majority of Americans, about our existence um, is very much rooted in falsehoods and romanticism and stereotype. And so, in my mind, to have something that is that not only is indigenous but speaks to modern indigenous existence. And uh, to put those in plain sight in that way, I think is incredibly powerful. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks for thanks for talking to me. That was artist Greg Deal talking with KOTO News in 2019 about his mural, Rise. It hung on Main Street for the past two years. A new mural by French artist J.R. is going up this week. Governor Jared Polis signed a $34 billion state budget on Monday that largely restores dramatic cuts lawmakers made last year due to the coronavirus pandemic. Polis says the spending plan boosts the state's revenue fund to the highest level since the 1980s. We're also making significant investment in schools, increasing funding by 14 percent or almost $600 million, fully restoring the cut that was made in 2021. Meanwhile, lawmakers are still working to pass parts of an $800 million stimulus package that includes more relief for small businesses. The Colorado House has passed two gun bills in response to the mass shooting at a Boulder King Supers in March. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. House Bill 1298 would temporarily block gun sales to people who commit violent misdemeanors like assault and child abuse. It also aims to close a loophole allowing gun sales to advance regardless of the results of a background check if it is not completed in a timely manner. All Republicans voted against it, except Hugh McKean of Loveland. But he says that was an accident. I reached up and pressed what I thought was the no button, but it was the yes button. Lawmakers denied his request for a revote. Democrats also passed a bill to create an office focusing on preventing gun violence. Both now head to the Senate. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 50% chance of rain showers tonight with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 35 degrees. Tuesday, rain and snow showers are likely with a high around 50 degrees. Tuesday night, there is a 40% chance of showers with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 35 degrees. Wednesday, there is a chance of showers and thunderstorms with partly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is around 60 degrees with a low around 40. This has been the news for Monday, May 17th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention all parents. Do you want to learn about mindfulness? Bright Futures is partnering with local mindfulness experts to bring you another free virtual workshop series this time on Mindful Parenting. Hi, this is Madeline with Bright Futures. Mindful Parenting will take place in English each Wednesday in May from 7 to 8 p.m. on Zoom. During these weekly workshops, we will cover health and well-being, parenting with connection, the how and why of mindfulness, and offer a one-hour yin yoga session for parents. These workshops are intended for parents with children age 0 to 5, but all are welcome to attend. 
For more information or to register, please visit our website, brightfuturesforchildren.org. You can also email me at madeline at brightfuturesforchildren.org. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.